0: Hey, everybody, it's Jenna. And before we get to this week's episode, I am thrilled to announce that Democracy Works is part of Lyceum, a brand new app that focuses specifically on educational audio. There are more than a million podcasts in the world right now. And it can be hard to cut through the noise, figure out what's quality or what's not, uh, particularly when it comes to educational content. The team at Lyceum has done All of that curation work for you. Uh, The app is filled with collections of shows around history, linguistics, politics, science, um, any type of academic discipline or educational topic you can imagine. Uh, You'll probably find it in Lyceum. And they're also building a community of thoughtful, curious listeners and creators. So if you want to check out some great educational podcasts and interact with me and the rest of the Democracy Works team uh, in the app, you can head to lyceum.fm to download it. Again, that is lyceum.fm. And I hope to see you in the app.
1: The number of hospital beds available in, in ICUs or in general are based on a set of plans that are in turn based on the size and the age of the population in the area. And so how do we know that information? That doesn't just come down from the sky, but it actually is something that's based on these decennial census counts.
2: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael
3: Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam
0: i'm jenna spinelli and welcome to democracy works today guys we are talking all about the census you know much like last week we said the election is happening in november no matter what and the census also continues on in light of the coronavirus but some changes that are being made to the process, as well as some questions about how to count everyone in these these times of s- social distancing. So lots to dig into. And joining us for the conversation today, actually joining us for the second time, we talked with her about two years ago is uh, Jenny Van Hook, who is the Roy C. Buck Professor of Sociology and Demography here at Penn State, former member of the Census Advisory Board, and uh, as you'll hear, an expert on all things census.
3: Yeah, so so last time we had uh, Jenny on, we were talking about whether the citizenship question was going to be added to the census and what the implications of that were, and that seems like a long long time ago, doesn't it? Every, everything seems like a long long time ago. I guess that's ago. true, yeah. So the the census like Jenna said, the census like the election is 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 set by the constitution. So there's no undoing it, no changing it, no going back, right? It's well, got it to happen. Right, it has to happen
2: this year. I mean the the actual date in which you do it during the year i don't think that's in the constitution
3: i think it's decennial right i mean it yeah. does say they have 10 to years. do it they
2: have to do it sometime during this year
3: right 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 and that makes this an issue and it makes it an issue for us because just like the election if there's any concern or suspicion about the accuracy of the the results then there is going to be uh, less legitimacy associated with the decisions made by those re- made on those results, yeah, so Chris, what are some of the issues here with uh, concern about the census? Well, I mean obviously, the biggest one is uh, apportionment of uh, representatives for Congress, right? Whatever right. I mean, you know you get the number of representatives that um, are commensurate with your population roughly. Yes, and, and as states. population changes in states and as people move mostly to the south and to the west, those states get those states get more representation and states in in the north get less, right? Right. And then it's
2: also used of course within the state to apportion seats among the various congressional
3: districts and to draw lines, right. Right. Yeah. Not to mention I, the 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 last one I read was 1.5 trillion dollars of state and federal funds that are determined according to you know population levels, and so if you were for some reason undercounted, then that could mean a lot less money coming from um, from the government.
2: But you know one thing that we're noticing as universities move to online education is that some students don't actually have access to good internet. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, you know, I remember back when there was early talk about infrastructure bills, and one of the issues that had come up was the need in this country to build broadband infrastructure throughout the country. So there are issues with relying on a web-based version of the census. I think you still need people to get it by hand or to have census takers come to the door to ask them questions.
0: So the 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 bureaus working through what that looks like and yeah, shifting things around as as needed. And you know, I think too there's also some like public health implications for the having an, an accurate count. We've been seeing a lot now, you know, allocation of, of resources like ventilators and things, even where to build a hospital is, mm-hmm. is driven driven by census data. So it all kind of links together.
3: So what's interesting is that, that these, these, these questions can cut both ways, right? On the one hand, you have rural communities saying, hey, we don't have the broadband access that you have in the big cities, so we're likely to be undercounted. The urban places are saying, yeah, but we have... Um, a much more exigent situation around the, the the coronavirus right now. And so we're not going out. We're yeah. not, we yeah. don't want anybody coming to our doors. And so we're going to be underfunded for that reason. And nobody really knows how that's going to actually play out.
2: Yeah, you have this strange situation, don't you, where you're doing the census right at the time where nobody is living in their normal living circumstances, or at least many people. very, are very
3: millions and millions of people, right? Yeah,
2: are just sort of shifted all over and stuck wherever they are. And uh, people that left major cities to try to get to safer areas, people that went to stay with family, students that were sent home. So nobody's where they usually are at the time when we're doing the count about where
3: people are. Right. So even if they are counted, they're not counted in the way that the census would like them to be counted.
0: Or, That's or right. the way this that their, their, their primary places of residence Correct. would like them the to more be accurate. counted. Right. Yeah.
3: right. It's not just – the
2: census is not just a count of people. It's a count of where people are. Right. Right.
0: At any rate, uh, I think we've set the, the table here for some of the issues about the census and the coronavirus. So let's go now to my conversation with Jenny Van Hook. This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Jenny Van Hook. Jenny, welcome back to Democracy Works. Thank you so much. Uh, So we are going to talk about where things stand today with the census. Uh, We are recording this on Tuesday, March 31st, which is the day before Census Day in the U.S., so that will have passed by the time um, folks hear this, uh, the week of April 6th. But uh, you were on our show, Jenny uh, about two years ago, uh, geez, time flies. Um, we we talked then about kind of some of the the history and background of the census. The citizenship question was um, big on everyone's mind at, at that point in time, back in the spring of 2018. But something else that we we talked about quite a bit was uh, the census bureau's preparedness or their their ability to carry out the census from a staffing perspective, just from a general preparedness perspective. And, you know, I, I thought we might start there. Putting aside coronavirus for a second, how were you feeling about the, the Bureau's ability, their preparedness to, to carry out the census when the, the process got started at, at the beginning of this year?
1: Um, at the beginning of this year, before all of the, um, the issues and disruptions, People were already concerned about the census, um, and and especially about the capacity of the census to um, encourage people to respond and to self-response, so that you can get a full count.
0: Right, and so how has that that response rate been? I know this is the the first year for online completion. Uh, how has that been so far, and and how does the the response rate? thus far in 2020 compared to um, the the census historically? Well, um, right
1: now, as you know, that the census date is April 1st. And so Mm -hmm. we're still in the running, right? There's a really important phase of the census collection called the self-response phase. And that is when people, they get a postcard in the mail, and then they're asked to respond either online or by phone or by mail. And so you you have a variety of ways that you can respond and then if you turn in your response on your own, that would be called a self-response. And so there's a lot at stake at at getting a high percentage of people to respond in that manner because that really determines the cost and the the, the accuracy of the data that's being collected. So, so far right now, I just checked this morning and 35% of U.S. households have already self-responded. but uh, this is only halfway there, but in in 2010, by the time all was said and done, 70% of the U.S. household had self responded, so we still have a, a long way to go on that.
0: The Census Bureau strikes me as a as a place that has like a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, D, E, all the way mm-hmm. down the line. So, are there? contingencies in place? I mean, not not maybe specifically for a, a pandemic that we have now, but are there, there are plans in place to adapt to changing social or, or other factors that, that might be happening during the, the counting process? Yeah, I mean,
1: they, they do develop contingency plans um, for all kinds of things, but uh, they did not develop a contingency plan for a pandemic specifically. And so <laughs> Uh, those uh, adjustments are being made now on the fly as as we speak. And so um, there's a lot of be- adjustments being made because um, they had anticipated, for example, of being able to do all of this um, um, sort of outreach to get people to respond and be aware of the census. And many of those outreach functions have, have had to be canceled because of this. Um, You know, they also planned a pretty large and robust uh, non-response follow-up operation, and that was supposed to have gone out um, and started pretty soon, but it's being delayed from May 13 to May 28. So yeah, so it's being set back, and that's, that's the operation where people really do come out and knock on doors, ask people to respond to the census.
0: Speaking of that, that kind of timeline, you were saying that the in-person outreach is, is going to be delayed, and so will that also ultimately push the, the timing of when the, the final count is is completed and delivered, or is that staying on track?
1: That, for now, is staying on track, so they're trying to stick to their original deadlines. Um, for that. So they have to get a final count to the um, president by December 31st of, the, of this year. And that is, as far as I understand it, the still still the target date.
0: I mean, is that is that feasible, do you think? Or, or are there are there issues that that brings about trying to, you know, condense the the final phase of things into to a shorter timeline like well, that? Well, that's
1: just the concern, right? I mean, the concern is that that the, the some aspects of the non-response follow-up operation will be not done as thoroughly, rushed you know, they're going to have to um, perhaps, you know, n- not follow up on a household that they might have followed up before because they had to hit time um, and so, yeah, just you know, reducing the amount of time provided that they are able to, to conduct this operation could in the end um, jeopardize the, the final counts there. And the operation, the census doesn't even end at the end of the non-response follow-up because after that, then there's a whole other series of kinds of edits and, you know, um, data cleaning that occurs um, even after that. And so I'm not privy to all of that, but um, I think, you know, one wonders, you know, if you have two weeks less time, how is that going to all work out?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I... I wonder, too, with with having such a high online response rate this time, if that might cut down on, on the, the processing time or, or how everything is kind of cleaned up in the end. I mean, you don't have to necessarily enter something from a, a, a written response. It's all just kind of there, I'm sure, mm-hmm. and like some database somewhere to extremely oversimplify yes. how the process works, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like
1: there's, there's these new modes of, of data collection occurring at the same time. And, um, you know, and those are meant to improve our data quality and to improve the ease at which people can respond. And so hopefully that all works out in the end. And so, you know, w- w- what we really want to make sure is that in the efforts to improve the operations, the novelty of it doesn't throw another wrench into the process, you know, um, because we right. don't need any more wrenches at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the, you know, on the one hand, people have ostensibly more time than ever to to do this because, you know, a good number of people are, are at home. But at the same time, I, I imagine it's harder than ever to kind of, get the word out and fight through the noise of, of all the, the coronavirus news and, and um, remind folks that, hey, the, the census is still here. It's something that still needs to happen and, and all of those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they were hoping to have a little more airtime in which the census would be the primary focus of people's attention. And that's just really hard to make happen right now.
0: Right. Uh, so, so another group I want to talk about is College students. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are college instructors or or in some way involved with with universities, and that's a whole other wrench in the process as well because college students are not on campus right now, but yet they should be counted as if they were. Is that right? That
1: is correct. So, yeah, you should be counted where you live and sleep most of the time as of April 1st. And, um, but but if you're temporarily living somewhere else because of the COVID-19 situation, then you you still have to count yourself as where you usually live. And for students, this means that they should be counted at school even if they're living somewhere else like in, in the home of their parents.
0: Is it possible to in any way make up for the the lack of student response or kind of the 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 disparity between where students would normally be on april 1st and where they are right now Is, is it possible to use like university enrollment data or something like that to to make up for that in some way my
1: understanding is that for many students who live in dormitories that the census was to be conducted through other means other than self-response of the students themselves. And so they would be working with the university to get those counts from the institutions. Um, so if that's the case, I, I can definitely see how this is gonna work out really pretty well. Um, and there's room then for some um, oversight, right? In terms of where, where they're being counted. You know, if, it, if they're counted in the wrong place, because of the self-response of the students themselves, and there's no no other process to move them back to campus, so to speak. Then, you know, I can imagine that maybe on later on down the road, there, you know municipalities or, um, or cities can then contest the results of their census counts, and certainly that has happened in the past where there's been adjustments after the fact.
0: So, what what other groups? do you think are, are kind of top of mind for the, the Bureau right now in terms of people that need, need extra outreach or, or they need to pay special attention to given our, our circumstances right now with the coronavirus?
1: Well, it's certainly people who are, mispl- who are displaced. You know, so I, th- I think that's the number one group of people. So anybody who's being displaced because of the coronavirus. So we talked about students already, but there are other groups of people who are also displaced from their regular places of residence. You know, certainly, I don't know if you've read, but you know, like people from New York moving to their second homes, that would be one example. You know, people who are visiting relatives during this time because um, that that's their preference. Um, so there certainly are a lot of people in that situation, I think.
0: Right, so I, I think we, we talked about this uh, the last time you were on the show, but it, but it bears repeating. What are some of the, the, the consequences or the ramifications of an undercount or, or a miscount of the census?
1: Okay, so the census is used, like one of the major uses of the census is to determine apportionment of the House of Representatives. And so if, um, if you have displaced populations living in other states, then those counts could be off, and um, the apportionment then could be off, perhaps. Maybe even more importantly is the uh, redistricting that occurs where you have determinations of the locations and boundaries of congressional districts. And again, that's based on population numbers, estimates from the census, so yeah, so there's a lot of political ramifications if these um, counts are either too low or maybe even too high in some cases, or um, counted in the wrong place.
0: Right, and and of course, you know, public health is in the news a lot these days. Are are there are there public health funds or, or or public health implications tied in with the the census count? Yeah, I mean, the
1: one example that I was thinking of just this week was that. I just saw an article recently about the distribution of ventilators, <laughs> and so that must be at the top of everybody's minds, and um, and 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 the capacity of house of hospitals um, to take in sick patients in their ICUs, and uh, so the number of hospital beds available in in ICUs or in general are based on a set of plans that are in turn based on the size and the age of the population in the area. Um, and so how do we know that information? That doesn't just come down from the sky, but it actually is something that's based on these decennial census counts. And so if, if we don't get those numbers correctly, then we could have a mismatch between the demand and need for those kinds of services, even in the absence of a coronavirus, um, epidemic, um, we we could have a mismatch between resources and need.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, we've we've kind of touched on this uh, sporadically as we've been been talking. But um, can you just lay out you know moving forward what what the rest of the the census timeline looks like from here? So this episode will be coming out on uh, Monday, April sixth. So what what are kind of the the steps um, beyond that?
1: So in in April, late April. And really, ramping up in May, that we're going to have a series of um, sort of this this non-response follow-up operation will start to um, move forward in in full force. And so during that time, people can still self respond. I believe they can still self respond up through August. But there's also going to be this overlapping time where people, census employees, will be going door to door to people who had not responded, and so. Elicit um, responses from them um, if that's not successful then um, eventually the census starts to turn to other sources for this information to, so they can at least fill in the gaps of what they don't know about a household so for example they could um, you know draw that information from the neighbors um, they could also go to administrative or third-party data on this, like utility records and um, tax records for that matter. So there's just a lot of resources that the census can use to um, to fill in the gaps when households are not responsive.
0: and um to kind of come all the way back around to to where we started with kind of support for the census from from the the administration i know that that was very much kind of questioned the the last time you and i talked about you know how much support was the the commerce department giving the census, it seemed like maybe not very much at the time. But I mean, do you have any sense of kind of where that is now and and has what's happening with the the coronavirus changed anything about how much support the census has?
1: I'm not sure what people are saying in the administration about this. I do know that, you know, if you talk to people at the Census Bureau, they feel like they're fighting fires on all sides. And um, and that you know the coronavirus is just one of the, one more thing i've i've read several editorials saying oh we're going to have to do a census redo <laughs> and and i just i don't know how you know realistic that is to to call it quits and say well you know it's it's been a failure we're going to have to have a 2021 census i think it's it's somewhat of a joke right now but you know we'll see what happens when in the fall when we start to see um, the evaluations of the census and just what what really did happen. And there will be, a, you know, an evaluation um, and that evaluation will be apparent. Um, you know, we'll have a really good sense of how well it worked, you know, by December, I believe.
0: Well, yeah, because I mean, if it's, if you have, like you could technically complete the process, but if it's data that no one can trust or isn't reliable, then you have to wonder how good it even is or, mm-hmm. or whether it should yeah, kind of what the, that balance is between all the energy and the money and the effort to redo it versus like 10 years of, of using and and living with with account that's that's not accurate or, or not reliable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's what some of the pundits have been arguing, saying, no, we're, we cannot accept this. We need to actually have a, a redo. Another opinion that I've seen out there is that we need to rely even more heavily on administrative records and have sort of an administrative record census to um, help us understand how large our population is.
0: Yeah, and is there, I mean thinking like really long term here, I mean is there any thought among kind of the the census or like demography community of like do, could you ever envision a census or the, the process happening in which self-participation was not part of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly something that people have been talking about quite a lot lately. And it just comes as a the fact of life is that people are less responsive to surveys now than they've ever been. And um, it's harder and more expensive than it used to be to, to get a household to respond to the census. And so the, the easier um, that you can make it, the less... That you depend on people's actions to make it happen as opposed to it just being something that we tick off because, yeah, we know from utility records or tax records that these people live here. That's, you know, that's certainly that's something that's being discussed a lot
0: yeah I mean but there is kind of that that trade-off though of like the civic engagement part of it and maybe that's just not as strong today as it once was or maybe that that energy to the extent that it still exists needs to be channeled somewhere else or kind of thought of in in a in a different way
1: yeah yeah I you know, I don't know if it's like we have less civil and engage- civic engagement than before. And maybe the political scientists would want to weigh on in on this one. I tend to think that it's because our time is so divided and, you know, there's just so much, you know, marketing that is occurring um, every day, you know, in, in terms of the mail that we get in our mailboxes and in our inboxes um, for email and people are stopping um, their landlines because every... The vast majority of the calls they receive are from marketers. And so it's really hard for a legitimate survey, like or, or, you know, questionnaire like the census to cut through that and get people to take time and take them seriously. Um, And so it may not be about civic engagement as opposed to just having divided attention.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And just, yeah, so many things. So many things coming at us. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's easier to to tune out and, and to ignore things that, that you don't want to see. Do you know at all, and I and and I realize you, you might not, anything about how the the census is being viewed from from a, a partisan perspective?
1: You know, the Republican National Party had put out some flyers that looked very much like a census form but wasn't and they even i think they even used the word census in it to um, solicit in, information from people and get getting them to respond to something that was not the census um and and that was um stopped um and they're not not going to do that anymore but you know for a while there there was there was that out there and i think that just sows confusion on the parts of people in terms of you know maybe they filled that out and thought yeah i answered the census and actually they hadn't you know
0: Right. They they just gave their information to a campaign, which may, may or may not have been what they wanted to yeah. do in the first place. Or, you know, and it makes them less likely to fill out the actual census. Yeah. And I,
1: I think I don't think there's a huge amount of enthusiasm for trying to get a full count um, from all parts of the political dis- uh, distribution. But it's hard for me to get inside their minds on this because um, people kind of know what to say um, mm-hmm. as opposed to. what they do
0: there was um a scam uh floating around on social media about how you needed to fill out your census to get your stimulus check from from the government just 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 for the record those things are completely unrelated correct yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes that's true Uh, it should be unrelated yeah
0: okay Uh um so our our last episode, uh, as as I mentioned, we were talking about um, voting by mail, and, and and one of the things that our, our guests guest brought up was that everybody, like the 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 candidates and the campaigns, are kind of lawyering up right now because they're they're expecting. Uh, November's election to be more contested because of all these changes to the process. I mean, is there, is there a parallel there with, with the census? I mean, is it something that people would like go to court to contest the, the results or not? I mean, other than, you know, what you talked about earlier with people having data to verify a miscount yeah. or no, or no, like
1: those that. efforts are well underway already. Um, so there are teams of lawyers already working on this and getting ready to, um, sue so that that they can contest uh, counts um, Of course we don't know what those counts are yet but they're um, basing that on contingency plans you know like they're you know if the count comes in below X then then they're going to be contesting it and so they're getting ready for it
0: in the kind of midst of the the coronavirus and, and everything that that comes with that I mean what is the the best argument from your perspective, for why we should continue with the census this year? I mean, is it because it would be unconstitutional not to, or you know, what are your your thoughts in in that regard? I am. It, it is in the Constitution
1: that it should be done every decade. Um, I I would be concerned if we didn't do it this year and at least saw what the results were uh, before assuming that we're going to have to either do a redo or just disregard the results um, and I would be concerned that if it isn't done this year um, and if it was delayed too long um, there could be other concerns about the legality of the census and the, you know right. you know what I mean like if it wasn't done according to the rules
0: Jenny thank you for all of your work in this area and thanks for joining us today thank
1: you it was fun
3: once again Jenny hits it out of the park. That was really interesting and really grounded in, in reliable information, which we all appreciate this time, at this point in our lives. Um, yeah. Michael, the one thing I thought was interesting is kind of the parallels to our conversation last week around um, the election, where you just kind of see what's coming in terms of Litigation and lawsuits around these results, whatever they are.
2: Yes, I think it's quite predictable that this is going to end up in lawsuits of some type. You know, I think the 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 more immediate question is whether or not they're going to be able to pull this off. And what what, what concerns me, I mean, I'm listening to to Jenny and thinking, you know, this is probably doable. People are not really focused on it, but uh, an effort could be made, and and we could do it as. We could do a good job, but I'm just not sure they're up to it.
3: Well, I mean, you know, again, I, I go back to our last week's conversation. It this The circumstances are such that this would be difficult if everyone was acting in complete good faith, right? Yeah. And as it is right now, there are, you know, not just scammers, not just people who are trying to separate you from your money, but people who are evaluating this solely in terms of partisan advantage and as a result, the the prospects for getting through this in a way that is you know accurate and fair uh, just recedes, right? I mean, it's it's depressing, but I think it's it's kind of a yeah, I, the underlying reality.
2: I think that one one concern that I have had throughout this coronavirus throughout the Trump administration is that if you hollow out the federal government if you don't put in people who are confirmed by the senate but are instead in some sort of you know tenuous acting role if you leave positions unfilled if you purge people from the bureaucracy because of their political beliefs you are not going to end up with the most competent and capable administrative state that you could have
3: yes and, and- i'm concerned about that the atmosphere is just so difficult right now. It, it does raise the question, which comes up every 10 years, which is that statisticians say, we can give you at least as good a results, if not better, in terms of accuracy, in terms of saying where people live and um, where they've moved to through statistical modeling that would not require the census in the same kind of way. And I just wonder if those kind of questions are going to be more acute this year, just because it may just be that we can't pull it off the old way.
2: Uh, yeah, well, good point. I mean, I, I I worry that that sort of expertise is not fully appreciated these days. But But in all honesty, this has often been a conflict within the Census Bureau about the extent to which you can substitute direct counting of people with Statistical estimations, modeling populations in different places—that type of thing. Right. I think the one other issue that we have—we haven't discussed that fully—is uh, just whether or not people can get themselves focused on this. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like uh, it's like the vanishing campaign. Uh,
3: that's 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 the other thing I was going to. Right. Gonna Biden, say Biden
2: takes a lot of heat for not really being on the air very much right now. But how do you run a presidential campaign? Nobody's paying attention. They have the time, obviously, and most of them have the capability to complete a census form, but whether or not they can, whether or not they want to, whether or not they're focused on it, whether or not they care is, I think, think another question.
3: Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody is, is looking to blame these people, but, you know, the census is this year, and if those people aren't counted, that's- not great for democracy. Um, you know is it it does it does it measure up to somebody losing their job? No, absolutely not. but it's still a problem and and it's not obvious how in in this political climate in this partisan climate we we uh, help people um, through those problems. I mean I don't know how for example, you convince somebody to become, uh, um, you know, a door-to-door census worker, right? I mean, there's lots of people unemployed, but how do you do that and stay safe? You know, keep yourself safe, right? How do you do that without becoming a well? Possible, who's going to answer the door? You know, who's going to answer the door? Right, right. And and I don't, I mean, I don't know how you how you address that in a way that is fair, uh, let alone uh, effective, right? Um, you know, if we just say, nope, you have to do it online. Well, for some people, that's not an option, you know? And, and if you Mm -hmm. say, well, you're going to have to do it yourself, well, it's going to be a lot of people that aren't counted, but I mean, you know, who knows where we're going to be in July and August, but at minimum, even if things are, you know, almost, if not completely back to normal, it's still going to mean such a shorter timeline that it's going to make for. Um, incredible difficulties for the agency and also more suspicious results. So lots of, lots of implications here, and we're taking them a week at a time, but it uh, just shows you just how, how, how difficult this climate is for everyone. So Absolutely. anyway, uh, thanks yeah. again to Jenny Van Hook, uh, to Jenna Spinelli for the interview, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Chris Beam.
2: Uh, stay safe, everyone. I'm Michael Berkman.
0: Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU Penn State, Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. Episodes are engineered by Andy Grant and Craig Johnson, edited by Chris Kugler, Jen Bortz, and Mark Stitzer, and reviewed by Emily Reddy. Our interns this semester are Nicole Grayson and Stephanie Crane to seniors in the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications at Penn State. Democracy Works is part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts all about civic engagement, civil discourse, and democracy. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about our member shows and access deep dive playlists on topics like gerrymandering and money in politics that are curated from across the network. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a rating or review in your podcast app. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
3: This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.